Welcome to Ubaldi Reports with the 2016 presidential election well underway. The top concern for many voters across the country is the U.S. economy. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss the state of the U.S. economy, but what we will be asking is what is fact over fiction about the state of the American economy? As we begin this podcast, Americans need to understand that policies enacted by Washington have a direct cost on the U.S. economy. The continued policies which emanate from Washington continue to impact the economy. But Americans want solutions and not more campaign rhetoric from both political parties to jumpstart the U.S. economy. Now, today's podcast, we will focus on what is really going on with the U.S. economy today. Today's guest will be someone who works in the financial service sector in Tampa, Florida. He will be responding based on his vantage point into the economy and the impact he witnesses on business and throughout the industry. On this podcast, we will be speaking with Bart Catmull, president of Sangor Life Insurance Company. Now, let's welcome Bart Catmull. How's it going, Bart? Excellent, John. Thanks for having me on today. No, it's a pleasure. We just, my listeners and everybody I've talked to, they just want to know is what's going on with the economy. So what is going on with the U.S. economy today? Well, from what I see, it's uh, it's still a, in a relatively uh, weak standpoint. Um, it, we have seen growth over the past few years, uh, but it's still tenuous at best. Uh, now, where do, where do you see the growth coming from? Well, you know, it's it's a lot of grassroots. I see a lot of um, I do see, it, especially in the Tampa area, we see a lot of new businesses starting out. And individuals who may have been displaced from other jobs and, you know, and maybe working for bigger corporations have now decided to go out on their own and, and start their own um, businesses, which is a, it's a great thing. Well, no, it is because I started as a small business and I moved from California to, um, to Florida. But are you seeing small businesses have in um, – an easy time or they're having a hard time, especially with all the laws coming down from Washington? You know, um, at Sagicor, I mean, we're considered a, a small life insurance company in the scheme of things. I mean, we have roughly uh, a billion and a half in assets. And when you compare that to some of our competitors who have, you know, tens of billions and hundreds of billions of dollars in assets, we're small. And, and I think that from a, as a microcosm, um, I would look at, at our situation, and I would say that uh, it's caused. While there's a lot of positives, and we and we have grown in this environment, there are a lot of things that are weighing us down. Um, regulation has increased dramatically over over the past seven to eight years, and uh, and we see that weighing down on our on our returns and on our profits. Now, what type of regulations are you talking about? Are you talking about things like the Dodd-Frank financial regulation that passed in 2010? Um, that definitely has had an impact and continues, and we continue to feel the, the brunt of that in our industry as, a, as part of the financial services arena. Um, also, there's a lot of uh, state regulation that has come into play as well um, that you know, someone who's trying to start a business now has to jump through a lot of hoops to even get a license or to, uh, you know, to get their business um, 
approved in a in a given jurisdiction. So, uh, but Dodd Frank's definitely has had a has had a, a big impact. I think that there, um, I think because of what occurred in two thousand and and nine, there there was a need for some additional um, review and oversight. But you know, as as usually happens, the pendulum usually swings um, far one way, and I think in this case it may have have, have swung further over. And, and the amount of hoops, the amount of regulation that is now placed on banks, on financial institutions such as life insurance companies, and, and how they invest their money and everything, um, has begun to. It, you know, it's uh, considerably more than what we had to deal with in, in 2009. Well, because you mentioned earlier that you had, um, you're a small company, and I know the Dodd-Frank wanted, wanted to go after the larger banks and financial institutions that mainly were responsible for the financial situation the country found itself in. But it seems through my research that, I mean, the Brookings Institute, and among others, started into this, that it really impacted the small companies more than the larger companies. Well, I, I think that, I think it impacted everyone. The, the, the issue is, is that the larger companies had the resources to be able to deal with it um, and, and maybe even to, in some cases, automate or, or to uh, alleviate some of the pain. Whereas the the smaller institutions had to suck it up and either had to decide to get out of the business or had to um, increase dramatically their costs to be in business. Now, did you see your reporting requirements increase because of um, the Dodd-Frank financial regulation reform? Um, you know, we're we're governed as a as insurance companies. Most of our governance is handled by the um, by state regulators, okay. and and so we didn't we weren't directly impacted by the Dodd Frank um, legislation for the most part. However, what we have found is that one, our audits have gotten to be more complex because the auditors are were direct, um, directly impacted by Dodd-Frank and some of the ancillary um, regulations that came out. And so um, our audit expenses have gone up. And, and then the state regulators looked at what had been proposed by Dodd-Frank, and while they didn't necessarily adopt it in, in full measure, they took bits and pieces of, of that legislation and incorporated it into some of the laws and regulations that that govern the insurance companies. Now, has your industry consolidated or has it gotten larger? Or... No, we've, uh, there's definitely been consolidation. Uh, and I can't say that that has been driven by necessarily by a given piece of legislation or even what occurred in 2009 as far as the downturn in the economy. Um, but it has been a steady process, um, well, since I've been involved with the industry, which is now close to uh, 25 years. Um, but I have what, what you do find, though, is that there's a lot of small insurance companies 
that have determined that that the amount of regulation, the costs associated with, you know, the technologies that are required to do business now versus 10 or 15 years ago, it, it's just gotten to be so much that they've uh, decided it makes sense to to sell. But how does that impact um, the consumer? Because now there's less companies for them to go to. Does that make the cost for the consumer to go up? I think if if um, if technology had stayed the same, that I, I would say that yes, costs would have gone up to the consumer. Um, what has gone on is those companies that are still around, and there's still enough competition. We haven't got to a, a place where you got an oligopoly or anything like that. There's still enough competition out there that is driving down costs and. And the insurance companies in my industry are looking for ways in which they can cut costs to offset the um, added regulations that have been placed on them. Uh, so we've, we've really taken advantage of, of uh, the technology to help us there. But you still, what you have is, you know, decisions that are made to, to not get into certain businesses, which in the past would have been, um, extremely beneficial for the policyholders to have more competition in, but uh, but you know it's just too expensive to do it at this point. Okay, now the other area that seems to be impacting a lot of small businesses is the Affordable Care Act. Now, does your do you have any insight into how that impacts like small business? Because they see, oh yeah, no, go ahead. And, you know when I say we have a, we have. Well, we've grown from 100 employees back in 2009 to a little over 200 now. And so we're, we are directly impacted by the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we've always taken a position and, and strive to provide quality benefits to our employees as well as um, helping them to become healthier, to, you know, to keep costs down that way but what we've seen is even with the, all the measures that we've taken um, we've had to uh, increase you know the uh, the deductibles that we asked the employees to pay we've had to um, we've had even even it with uh, all of the improvements that we've had in, in the health of our employees and, and offering different uh, programs to, to you know whether it be um, smoking cessation programs or, or um, you know, weight loss type programs to help them live better lifestyles. Even with all of that, we've still seen an increase of 20 to 30 percent in our uh, um, health care costs and well, because that, premiums. No, no and the reason I asked that question, because I talk to a lot of small businesses, you know, because when you are a small business, you gravitate to small businesses and almost – Everybody, this is a big cost to them. And I know one person who owns a trucking company, and he had to take spouses off their plans because they just couldn't afford it. And as we move forward, it's just going to be harder and harder for small businesses just to kind of hang on to those costs. It's not even, it's not just the small businesses. It's, I mean, it's very large companies. I, uh, you know, definitely in our, in our industry, um, you know, there are some very large employers who, um, in one case, I know of one institution, 
just recently um, had to quit providing benefits to a a huge block of their employees because uh, it just it was too expensive. You no, know, and you make a good point because everybody that I've, I've talked to, and this is a cross representation of many different businesses. They just have a difficult time. They would like to to provide health care to their employees, but they also have to look at their bottom line. And it just gets very expensive to hit the costs, keep their costs low, and the regulatory requirements of reporting gets very burdensome on business. Yeah, well, and, and we can't, I mean, we can't print money. You know, it's not like if I, if I lose $100,000 or a million dollars, you know that has to come from somewhere, um, and and if not, then I you know if I'm not able to make that up somewhere, then it's going to uh, at some point I will be out of business because I won't have the funds to be able to continue in business. And that's a point that you, you make an interesting point because if you want to expand your business, you got to you got to keep your costs low, and if you keep sending money out without money coming in, eventually you're going to be out of business, and that keeps you from hiring. You know, additional employees. Yes, and and I'm in a situation where actually my company is owned by a a foreign entity, and so as I you know as I meet with my foreign parent, if my costs, if my returns aren't um, better than the returns in some other jurisdiction, then you know they're not going to to allocate additional funds to for me to grow here because they say listen I can we can grow over in this other juris, uh, this other place other jurisdiction at much cheaper and and get a better return um, and so I mean that's just the nature of business in this world is that you always allocate resources uh, where you can get the best return and and that way you can benefit the most people well, no, and that's a. I think that's what's missing in this debate is if you listen to, and I'm not trying to ping one party or one individual or one candidate. It just seems both parties are missing that aspect. They don't understand that your job is to keep your prices low and allocate your resources accordingly. Otherwise, another competitor is going to come in and take, take you over or put you out of business. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and I know that, uh, you know, we talk about those costs and, and regulation. Regulation not, comes in the form of, of added reporting or, or requirements that we may have to do. And it also comes in the way of taxes um, and additional taxes that, that may have to be paid, whether it be in the, you know, an investment tax on the uh, in the Affordable Care Act or it's, you um, you know, higher state taxes, premium taxes, whatever it may be, all of that takes money out of the system and and um, in some cases makes decisions that um, will be detrimental to the policyholders or, or the the customers in, in this market, in the U.S. market. Well, that goes into one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you is – we keep hearing about the dysfunction of the corporate tax code or the American tax system. Do you think that um, the reform of the corporate tax code would help the U.S. economy, or does it really matter at this point? Well, I, 
Yes, I think that if you had meaningful tax reform such that everything became simpler to to administer and um, to track, I think that it could be beneficial. I mean, you look at it and, and it actually, um, you know, as we look at expansion, um, there are times when taxes drive the, uh, the discussion and, and you get to an answer where you say, you know what, it's not beneficial to us to do this deal because of the tax code in this jurisdiction or, or that. And to me, that's wrong. I always, I, I grew up uh, an accountant in my previous life and I was always told when I was, uh, when I started out at least the first few years that, you know, accounting shouldn't drive the answer that, the answer you should look at it, you know, from an economic standpoint, from a, you know, what's going to grow this business and what's going to be most beneficial to our customers or to the, or to the shareholders and employees, you know, whatever. And, um, but today it's the accounting, it's the, it's whether it be tax accounting or regulatory accounting, it's the accounting that drives many answers, which, um, doesn't always get you to the best answer. Yeah, and you make a you make a point there because I've had my business set up in California. I mean, most people know California is not really the most business friendly state, so I moved to Florida, which is more conducive to business. But the reason I said about reforming the tax code because the small business has a different way of doing their taxes than a large corporation, and the large corporations can move their company headquarters abroad, much like. Um, was it Burger King did, a, I think, this year or last year, mm-hmm. they were able to move their business abroad over into Canada for the lower tax rate. But a small business just really can't do that. Right. And this is what I was just trying to get at is I talked to one small business, and I asked him the same. He had far different business than you were doing. He was more in the, uh, the high-tech service. And he said the one thing that Washington can do is reform the tax code to make it fairer and more easier for him to compete against everybody else. And that would, for him, jumpstart his business. Yeah, so but the same, you have to be careful with that. And that's why I think it, it has to be a, a, a an overall reform because what's good for one may not be good for the other side. And so, you, I mean, you know, for another company. And so, it, there, you know, I, I recognize that the um the legislature the and congress and everything they have they're in a tough situation in that they have to balance all of those constituents but when when decisions are being made as to listen this would be a great place to do business but the tax code is is punitive to me that's that's the wrong answer it, it it's now you know what um Thirty percent of zero is zero, um, and thirty. But if you know ten percent of of a hundred is is ten. So you by adjusting and making things simpler and making it such you're going to expand the tax base. In my mind, as a businessman, in my mind, I, I expand the tax base, and so I'm making something versus 
making nothing on uh, uh, you know on it because people decide not to do business in my state or my country. No, but the point that you brought up, and I agree with you, is you have to be fair. So you're not you're you're absolutely right not to punish one business at the expense of another business. You just want to make the tax. I think that's what most businesses want. They just want the tax code to be fair. So they're not paying a, a higher tax burden than somebody else. And I think lawmakers come in and sometimes with the best intentions, but their unintended consequences of their good intentions have a ripple effect on the economy and especially on business. Absolutely. Now, the other aspect is, and this is the one that's probably getting the most play that you keep hearing ac- across the country is, how would raising the minimum wage affect the, the U.S. economy? Um, so that's a tough question because everybody has a, an opinion on that. I, I mean, it it comes down to let's let's take my business. Every year, I have so much in the way of dollars that I can allot to. Um, excuse me to uh, to salaries, and how that gets allotted. Um, is is up to me and and my needs, and if I'm looking at, um, I have to look and I have to say, okay, how much can I need to get the most out of that as I possibly can? So if I have a choice between someone who wants a hundred thousand dollars a year and somebody who wants seventy thousand dollars a year. And they both have the same skills. I'm gonna, I'm going to a lot more to the, you know, I will, I'm gonna make that go further if I go with the seven, with person one seventy, and it's the same way with a small business. They have so much in the way, they only have so much in the way of dollars to spend on salaries. So, if you increase the 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 cost of that labor, then they. Are, they're not going to be able to expand, and, and now have, they're not going to automatically have now instead of a hundred thousand dollars for salaries, they're now automatically going to have a hundred and fifty. No, they still have a hundred, so that's all they can spend, and so they will they will get as much um, labor as that can afford, and and then they'll have to stop because they won't have any more, and. I think that that's it's a it's a noble concept, and I think that everyone should be working and striving to have and, and to get more out of their careers and have you know and increase their salaries and, and all of that. But it has to come with the abilities too. Um, you have to you you have to be able to to now produce at a level. That warrants that higher minimum minimum wage. Well, the reason I brought that question up because you hear, especially the food service industries, mainly the fast food industry. There's a movement that we want to bring it up to fifteen dollars an hour. And if you go to Seattle, they moved it to fifteen dollars an hour. I think by 2017, and they're up to eleven dollars an hour. But there's a cost effect. People don't realize that the food servicing has a very low threshold for profits. And the point that you brought up, you, you, labor is a big part of that. And if oh, you yeah. go over that, you got to start. I got to start cutting back. So that means either they're going to automate, 
and some of the you know the small business like the mom and pop one that's their only restaurant they have they're probably going to be forced out because they just can't compete well or they will just downsize to the point that they can they can handle the business themselves correct and then you're going to force a lot of the other um uh, you know business to reallocate their resources then you're also you're going to see other people not get their jobs even the congressional budget office that said yeah raising the minimum wage is going to help some people but those with really low skills are not going to benefit from the raising of the minimum wage no absolutely not i i totally agree with that well there, and it's kind of interesting there was a a company called i think gravity um, payments out of seattle it's a credit card company and they gave everybody seventy thousand dollars no matter who who you are everybody gets it and they tiered it up the first year you get fifty thousand i think by 2017 everybody was going to be making seventy thousand well there was this one worker who's been there for a couple years very well skilled and she thought this would be a pretty good idea but then as she thought about it her raise was only going to be very minimal and somebody with lower skills than her is now making what she did and it disrupted that business and a couple of the key employees left because they're like, I'm making with somebody else who just got here. So it really hurt their business. Well, it, it, it goes back to, you know, we're going to, you have a limited resource and you have, you have to divide it up. And so, you know, in my business, if I allocate X amount of dollars to a given department, I can either have one person in that department taking it all, or I can have two or three people. Um, it just depends on you know what the needs are, what the skill sets are, and and you know what the market is for that. And I, I think it once again though, if you drive up the costs for those individuals, you'll have fewer people because the 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 pie isn't growing. And I think it also goes back to the concept of what is the purpose of minimum wage. I mean, I worked a minimum wage job, and really my first real job was working at Jack in the Box or McDonald's. And then as I gained more skills, I joined the military and I went to college and all that stuff. I gained more skills, you get more um, returns on your monetary you're getting for the, the type of job you're doing. But if you have minimal skills, really, if you're in your 30s and you're making minimum wage, Something's wrong along this picture. It's not supposed to be a living wage. It was just a stepping stone to get to that next point in your career advancement. So I just think people need to start to, to focus on that. But the other part that, and I know you've probably dealt with this because you, a, a, um, you have a family. How does, as Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and others like Bernie Sanders and some others who are running for president talk about Free education for college with the wealthy paying the majority of the cost. How effective would that be if college is free for everybody, but the wealthy are going to pay for it? Um, well, because you, let me, people let me, realize, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but people realize college costs are expensive. Kids are graduating, and I know a lot of college students, $30,000 in debt. So they say, let's just make college free. We'll make the top 1% pay for that. But is that really going to reduce college education? And is that really going to help 
everybody get that they get that college education they need. Once again, um, I go back to the whole concept that the pie is only so big, and so um, one, if you make something free, then it reduces the the value of what you get. So um, from that standpoint, I, I don't, you know, from what I've seen in other places around the world, when they make something free, then um, it doesn't become as, as revered and as, you know, um, people just take it as, as for, it takes it for granted and, and they don't get as much out of it. Two, um, I don't know that there's enough wealth in the in the country that you could and and how you could tax uh, tax it such that everyone could go to college. And third, not everyone wants to go to college. There are those I, I know my kids are such that I have kids who don't want to go to college. They they that's has they have no desire, and and so once again I don't know that that's the panacea either for and and I think in this country and any given organization you need to have people at all levels to make the organization go, um, and so I, I I don't think that it could be an effective policy at all to to say hey we're gonna yeah everything's free now. You can go to Harvard or you can go – I mean, what would that do? I mean, a Harvard education, for right, wrong, or indifferent, a Harvard education is, is viewed as better and more valuable at this point in time than one from um, a you know XYZ state. And, and the, the resulting jobs that come out of going to a Ivy League school – um, are such that you get paid accordingly. Now, what would now what would happen if uh, if everything's free? But see, the point that I liked what was missing when they make these um, pronouncements on policy, and I agree that there is a problem. We can't have students graduating on average with thirty thousand dollars in debt. That said, but nobody's looking at why does college costs so much now i know there's some faith-based schools and like for an example for my church you take byu byu is a faith-based school but it doesn't cost as much as some of the state schools and they don't graduate students with that much debt but they're still getting a great education so why is college costing so much and some of the university presidents and their staff make an enormous amount of salaries and benefits and compensation, which impacts the cost of that education. Now, that's only one sliver of the pie. But also, like, I know when they mentioned that Europe has free education. I know Germany does. But their educational system for um, higher education is different. They don't have student unions. They don't have sports programs. You go to college, you study only that major, and that's it. So to say we got to go off them is a little misleading without looking how they do their educational system and how it's set up. Right, and I, I think the 
one of the beauties and one of the beauties is is that we have the ability to to study you know what we want um and with that freedom comes some responsibility you know that um if if you want to study to be a you know a musician and that's great but you have to recognize that okay then you may not be able to um the you know your future income may not be as great and so you may need to work a little bit harder to get through school take some jobs to pay for that versus taking out loans i think we definitely have made the ability to get student loans way too easy such that you know it becomes easy money and becomes a very it becomes a um like an addiction that you yeah. have to get this to go to college yeah i mean when you hear about people having you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans and they're going to graduate with an associate degree in psychology um you know there's a problem not with the educational system but with the um with the individual and with the entities who are loaning them the money to you know to without the ability of them to ever pay that back with the potential jobs that they could could get i just you know i would know that that in, as a as a business i would never make that investment well, see, I look at this also as a business that students are going to college, and I do agree with you. They have to, if you're just going to become a liberal arts major and you're taking thirty, forty thousand dollars in debt, and let's say you're going to be a teacher, you know, the average salary of a teacher is not a hundred thousand dollars plus. So you have to look at from that standpoint. But the other thing that I look at is why does college costs skyrocket? far faster than anything in the American economy. Books costs are so expensive. These administrative salaries have just exploded. And nobody looks at why does college cost so much? Where does all the, the money go? How is it allocated? How many colleges have been audited to see how that money is allocated correctly? And that seems to be missing in this whole debate. We just focus on the one, the one cost. What's not figuring out what's driving that cost? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I would say though that you go down the road of once again creating a bunch of regulation, which then just increases the cost. So, it it's a vicious circle that you have to be careful um, going down and. And I think that the key is, is if you, it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, the drug trade. You know, they say you, you can try to stop it at the at the source, or you can hit it from the on the other end, and and you know, and reduce the number of addicts. And and if you reduce the number of addicts, if once again supply and demand, if the demand goes down, supply by its nature will go down as well. And and if there was, I look at it as if there was less money available, or you know the, these loans weren't as easy to get, and you had to have some type of means afterwards to pay them, and that that's what was based on that the 
then there wouldn't be i mean if if the number of students available to to um, go into a given institution drop by 50%, what would they have to do? They would have to drop their costs to recognize that. So, uh, no, that's, 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 a, that's a very valid point. I just think we need to look at everything. And the one thing I tell a lot of individuals, especially those who are going through school, they see this as a great thing. A free college would be great. But I always tell them, be careful when a politician says something is free, there's no cost to you. I've seen so many times, I'm sure you have, where a politician says this is going to be free, this is not going to cost us anything, it's going to be revenue neutral. That always proved false. What? It's almost like unintended consequences. Nothing is free. Somebody's got to pay. It, is, that, it doesn't matter who's saying that. It, 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 that is a true statement no matter if it's a politician or a business owner, whoever. There's always a cost and you have to rec- and, and you have to be honest with yourself and recognize that there is a cost. So and, no, and you're right and that's what people need to understand. There's nothing I mean my dad only had a fifth grade education and he always told us there's nothing free everything and he didn't know anything about economics he just knew everything about life he just says there's nothing free everything has a cost whether it's directly or indirectly something's gonna someone's got to pay for something yeah but finally what are some of the things that washington especially during this election season what are some of the things that washington can do or what are the things especially this part of the most important question as a business owner, what, are you, what would you want the candidates from both sides, Democrats and Republicans, to address to help get this economy moving so it's not just kind of sluggishing, moving along? Um, I, I am... ...will um, ultimately make the right decisions and will um, will grow, whether it be in my own company, or you know whether it be in family or or in the greater economy as a whole. I think that as you look, there's enough smart individuals at the ground level who have come up with some incredible ideas, who continue to look for ways to make this world a better place and if if we get out of their way and not try to not try to continually say no but figure out how to say yes that um, that they'll grow this economy they'll grow the world they'll make it a better place and and everyone will win um, and until we do that then we'll continue to limp along I mean I I look at, I look at, I I don't know that I I necessarily have a position as to whether or not the steps that were taken by the Federal Reserve back in in '09 and '10 were the right moves or not. I mean, they they took a position, they they did something. It it seemed to you know, in in some ways, it has. It helped the economy, and we didn't crash. I don't know that they can fully take 
that the steps they took fully were responsible for it. But, you know, I'll, I'll give them their due that they took some action. I think now, though, the, the amount of time where interest rates have been artificially kept, you know, low, um, all the regulation and stuff that's come into place that have impeded businesses in growing their business um, are, are starting to take their toll, and they're not letting this economy grow at the pace that it could grow if, if once again, if we just got out of the way. So basically, you just would like, I mean, I know we have regulations there for a reason, but you would like to see regulations that really help the business community and get out of their way so they can grow their business and create jobs than be impeded by anything that comes down from Washington. Exactly. And, you know, you know, cause markets will dictate once again, like I said, with in university, you know, if, if you have the, the amount of money necessary and you're going to choose to go to the university that you want to go to, and you will make the, the choice that makes the most sense for you and your family or you and, you know, if you don't have a family for you personally. I, so. Now, finally, this is, this is finally the last question, Mark. What would you want to ask the, the, the president? If you were, especially the Republicans had their debate, I know the Democrats are going to have their debate coming out in October. What would you ask both parties or both candidates or the candidates running for president? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> I know everybody has a, a question. Then you want to, then you pin them down. They're like, "Oh wow!" You know, I because the I wanna, for me, I want no, I would like them. I would I would like to know what they truly see as wrong with. American business today. What what evils do they see in American business today? Um, and then on the flip side, I would want to also ask them if they could do one if what they see is the one thing that they could do to. To um, to grow the economy, and maybe it's maybe it's a matter of putting it this way: What would you do? What innovation would you come up with that would that would benefit mankind? Hmm. Those are those are kind of those are interesting questions because for me, when they talk about the economy, I would just want them to be pressed to say. When you say this, how would you implement that? Really challenge them on their their policies on how they would jumpstart the economy. Like when someone said, I want free education, this group is going to pay for it. How would that work? Really dial in on them so they, can, they have to answer, not just give us the stump speech that they always give. See, I, I think a lot of those things, I, I equate those to the individuals and when you were in uh, junior high and you were law or high school and you were, you know, working the, to become the student body president and everyone always promised to have uh, you know, free soda. Uh, 
everyone knew it wasn't going to happen. So let's, but what, you know, what can you do to be, what innovation would you do, would you have that would, you know, revolutionize this world? Because they've got to, that's what we need. We need a visionary who can actually drive that. We need those visionaries who can see outside the box and then work to come together um, with everyone to, to reach that common um, no, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, I want to see what are they going to do? What's their vision for the future? What's their vision to help the middle class? What's their vision to help those who are going to college? And what's their visions to help make this country and eventually the world a far better place? So, I mean, but I do thank you, Bart, for coming on the show. I mean, this is just some basic insights and your insight into the economy is well noted. And this is what I wanted my listeners to to hear, because we hear so much about the economy. And I don't think they put it into the context. And that's why I always relate everything to like the small business guy or the little guy, because they always get stomped in the dirt by the big guys. Yes. So I, did, so I just want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for your, but one thing before we do leave, how do we find out more about your business? Give me a plug here. How do we find out more about your business? As always, you can go out to um, sagicorlifeusa.com. Uh, so, and uh, we're happy to, to help. We're in 40, 45 states and uh, really looking to serve our family, friends, and neighbors in, in those in those states so appreciate the opportunity to come on john and uh love love this country love uh where i think there's many pluses many things that are happening around the country despite all of the the negative negative items there's still a lot of positive going on and we're you know and happy to be part of it no and we're happy to have you on our show i wanted to um thank bart uh, catmill president of sagor a life insurance company for being on ubaldi reports Listen more to Ubaldi Reports. You can go on Stitcher and iTunes. Sign up for free, and you can listen to more. We're going to have more shows like this. And if you also get a chance, go to Amazon or any of the major book companies. You can find my book called The New Business Brigade. And the premise of the book is why businesses should hire veterans in the untapped resource they represent. And again, we want to thank Bart for, having, for being on Ubaldi Reports, and we'd like to have him on again. 